and be sure to access the link in this episode for access to all its giving content. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of It's Giving, hosted by your boy, Brandon the Introvert. In this episode, we'll be discussing P-Valley Season 2, Episode 2, Seven Pounds of Pressure. That's a lot of peas. Um, let's start the show. Okay, we are back with a another review um like i say each time i think because i you know do this weekly it always feels like the last time i've been you know doing an episode was a while ago but it really wasn't but it really feels that way but anyway we're doing uh season two episode two like i said before my apologies the last episode i didn't mention who wrote and directed it um uh episode one the pussy land was written by Katori Hall, who's also the creator of P-Valley, and was directed by Barbara Brown. And in this episode, it's the same deal, written by Katori Hall and directed by Barbara Brown. This episode, I won't be coughing. It's pretty much, I'm pretty much good. Um, so, so it was pretty funny, though. It was pretty funny. I, I try to make it a little funny when I was doing it, but I literally could not control my coughs. But yeah, this one, you won't be getting that at all. I'm I'm pretty good. But let's start. Let's start shit. So the opening scene, auditions are live. Auditions that uh Autumn Knight put on uh for the the pink. They're on and live. We see a long line of dancers. Big L, his old ass trying to pimp out. Pimp walking like he got a a, a, a a limp in his walk, checking out the talent. Uh, we see a wide range. We see we see big dances. We see small dances. We see tall dances. We see thick dances. We see slim dances. We see niggas. We see women. We see black. We see white. So it's a it's a wide 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 range, and I feel that that. More so speaks to, I feel like, how the times are. I feel like before it was definitely just women, but and women with a certain look, at least in terms of like being in a strip club for the most part. But nowadays, everybody is learning how, not everybody, but you know, more and more people, more different types of people are, I feel like, learning how to pole dance and, you know, not necessarily learning how to be, you know, working at a strip club or anything, but just pole dancing. Like, I feel like now it's not so much sexualized. It's an art. It's a it's a form of exercise. It's a form of therapy, you know? So I feel like it's definitely expanded. And with that, we see all different types of groups, uh, you know, expand out and learn the art. So we see we see that represented in the talent line. And uh, we also get, we already knew there's going to be two new dancers named Whisper and Roulette. We already got their looks. We kind of already got their vibes, just at least from articles that's already been out and pictures that have already been released. But we get official introductions to Whisper and Roulette. Whisper style, she's more delicate. Her style of dancing is more delicate, definitely a little more softer. We get more of an introduction to their dancing more than their personalities at least with this episode we get a we get some we get some of their personalities but i feel like we get more of their uh dancing styles in this one and we're going to see how they interact i feel like with the uh mercedes and uh just the pink as a whole throughout this season but yeah we get the introduction whisper style is more delicate 
kind of more soft, more, you know, kind of more artsy, I guess you want to say. More ethereal, if you want to get, like, artsy with that, the wording. Roulette's style is more in your face, hardcore, dangerous, like, really direct. And um, both of them kind of work together, go hand, like, on some yin and yang type shit. Like, they go hand in hand to... I don't know. They're they're a good duo. Like they're a very 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 good duo, and you could tell they're already at least friends. I don't know how close they are, but they're really cool. They don't have any like run-ins with each other, um, so we can imagine that they're you know they, they at least have a respect for each other. So before the theme song plays out, Mercedes is watching them both dance, and she's imagining performing at a live night. And the duo is obviously comparable to Keyshawn and Gidget. I read in another article, like a review of the episode, that the you can say that Roulette is a younger version of Mercedes, which I didn't really, I, I see it, like I see it, but I didn't really view it in that way. But more so because we don't know what Mercedes was like when she was younger. She could have been quiet, you know what I mean? So I didn't really assume that way, but I can see it. And, uh, but yeah, there's a nervous look from Mercedes as she's watching them dance. Like she is, she's already, she's always been kind of apprehensive of someone, you know, taking her place and her title and her throne. We saw a little bit of that last season with Keyshawn, but at least with Keyshawn, Mercedes that, you know, she was a part of the Trinity. She has a respect for Keyshawn. She's worked with Keyshawn. Keyshawn is her friend, you know, now not so much, but at least in the last season, she kind of took it much better with Keyshawn taking the spotlight than, you know, of course, these newcomers that she does not know and she has to train, but she sees they have some raw talent already. So they can definitely upstage her and you can see she's a little worried about that. It's new talent and new talent. With new talent comes new possibilities. So and new spotlights and Mercedes is definitely someone that is averse to new shit going on uh, especially if it might eclipse her so I don't think she's coming from a vain perspective I just think she has a lot of trust issues I feel like she's definitely a softy at the core and she does she she's loyal she's a very loyal person so I don't I don't think she's like I think it's more so I worked my ass off to get this title. I put in the literally blood, sweat, and tears. I don't think it's more of a, they're upstaging me and, you know, I deserve the spotlight. I don't think it's that. It's she's worked for that spotlight. It seems like she's been, what, she's uh, been at the paint for seven years. So she's worked for it. So she's not just going to let anybody just come in after a day and take it. But at the same time, she sees their raw talent. So it kind of... I think it messes with her a little bit. Now we see, uh, you know, after the theme, the first scene, Mercedes begins to call out the ones who got the spot, got the, you know, spot to be a dancer at the paint. And Roulette already knows she got it. She literally walks up before Mercedes says anything and then stops, you know, it's like, oh, let me, you know. I guess, wait for her to actually officially say it. But Roulette already knows she got that shit in the bag. Uh, but uh, So she calls Whisper. She calls Roulette, of course. 
And right when she's about to call the third, Autumn just comes in, interrupts her, and says Big Bone. And Big Bone is one of the dancers that was flirting with Big L in the uh, in the opening scene. And we saw in the audition scene, Big Bone, she got the look, she got the ass, she's Big Bone, but she can't dance for shit. Like, she, she couldn't even climb the pole. So, but Autumn likes her look, and so does Big L, obviously. And Autumn, you know, Mercedes, of course, is against this, but Autumn compromises and has her behind the bar and not the pull. But I really feel like Autumn, like you're really stepping your boundaries, especially since you said Mercedes, according to Uncle Clifford, Mercedes was um, the one that can pick the three. And then you just come in last minute and then do big bone. Like, come on, girl. Anyway, as they both get to arguing, Big L announces that they got some visitors. And guess who? Guess who? It is Corbin, the Octoroon, and Andre. Corbin got these damn pastels on. He's looking more and more like uh, his white brothers, just looking more like a white boy and just acting more like a white boy. Like, he's more arrogant, I feel like. He's more... He's just more arrogant. He's more arrogant because now he's after that big money. He's trying to, I guess, get some empire shit going on. And he's just more, he's just rude and just, just surly. Like, I, I, you know, I guess now that he, you know, got the plantation on lock, he's, you know, acting like his white side. So anyway, Derek is having a, you know, now we move on to Derek and Keyshawn seeing what they're doing. Derek is outside having a talk with Sheriff Bailey about the scuffle that went down between him and Diamond at murder night, and he wants to press charges, but Officer Bailey is trying to explain to him that, look, if I'm going to charge him, then I'm going to have to charge you because, you know, you were also doing the assaulting as well, and, you know, Derek has his little bitch fit, and he's, you know, don't want to hear that. He just wants to charge Diamond. Uh, Derek is a little child. Meanwhile, Keyshawn is in the kitchen preparing some lemonade, and the lemonade looks good, especially in that heat. Like, the lemonade looks real good. But she sees a text from the auto shop that Derek works at that, hey, the manager position been filled, and you didn't get it. So now she has this piece of information that, you know, we're going to see that she uses uh, later on. So then Derek goes out, and Bailey and Keyshawn have a personal talk. She updates him. It's really cute. Like, their little dynamic is pretty cute. She updates them on what she's doing, and she tells him she's an influencer and pole entertainer now. Uh, after Officer Bailey was like, you're not doing that uh, internet stuff, are you? Talking about definitely OnlyFans. Uh, but, yeah, she tells him, you know, you know, I'm an influencer, pole entertainer. And then Autumn is mentioned. And uh, after, you know, Officer Bailey saying, you know, the pink is really the stepping stone that Uncle Clifford intended it to be. And then Autumn is brought up because she's obviously came from a dancer to owning the place. So she really came up and Bailey asked for her real name. And Keyshawn says, you got to earn a stripper's real name. And you could tell by his face, it's going to bug him. He's going to we're going to talk about that later, but. It's going to bug him that he doesn't know her name. Also, I love hearing Keyshawn talk. Like, I love all the scenes where she's comfortable in talking. And I, I just, like, I, I just get mesmerized by her uh, talking. But 
Now we are back at the Pank, and Mercedes is teaching Roulette and Whisper, but she's struggling. Her shoulder is still hurting. We saw her shoulder was hurting in the uh, the first episode, and it's really stopping her from, you know, really flowing and really dancing. And um, sorry, I was just checking some. Uh, but, yeah, it's really stopping her from really dancing efficiently pretty much to, to put it, you know, lack of better terms, lack of better words. And um, we also see after she, you know, she tells Roulette Whisper, you know, go off, she, her and Big L begin to have a talk about Massa Autumn that, you know, what Mercedes calls her. And Autumn is changing more shit around. She's getting chrome poles instead of brass. She's choosing who she wants. She's telling Mercedes what to do. She's just completely out of control. And then we segue into the business meeting between Corbin, Andre, Uncle Clifford, and Autumn. Corbin is offering the Pank 500K as a buyout. But, of course, Autumn and Uncle Clifford, well, of course, Uncle Clifford, but Autumn and Uncle Clifford together reject the offer. But I feel like for two different reasons. Autumn says the Pink would need her worth. And since need and desire are the biggest factors in this case, and the pink seems to be, from like from my perspective as a viewer, seems to be the only like hottest strip joint around. She has a good point. It's valuable. It's worth a lot, you know, just from that uh, fact. And she says she wants ten mil for the deal. Uncle Clifford then gives her input in, and she says that they just trying to buy out the paint because they think Promised Land will come back and build the casino. And now we see it's kind of a looming threat again, once again, you know, as a, you know, from season one, even though it's saved, we see there's a possibility it, you know, that casino deal could come back, especially with Mayor Tydell, uh in his passing. But uh, yeah, and, you know, with that, and thanks to Uncle Clifford and Pastor Woodbine's referendum, that basically states the people have to vote for the casino. And Uncle Clifford points out no one with that voting, no one is going to come out the house in the middle of the pandemic to vote for Corbin's white ass brother. Even if the referendum goes through, the pink is off the auction block, according to Uncle Clifford. Corbin replies saying that, you know, there will be a time where they will need to sell. And he say he won't have one dollar for them. So I feel like that's some foreshadowing. I would hate for that to happen to them. Like, I would hate that they would have to succumb to that and he shows up with a dollar like that would be I would I would be very sad if that happens. But then the meeting basically ends um, at a point and uh, now Uncle Clifford is looking through flyers for the grand re 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 opening and she finds out it will be on Friday, which is tomorrow. And apparently, according to Corbin, that is her 40th birthday unbeknownst to Autumn. Then Autumn, you know, Uncle Clifford leaves and Uncle Autumn goes into Uncle Clifford's office and they get into it. Uncle Clifford tells her the Pank is not ready to open and they don't even have a DJ. Uh, now that DJ Never Scared is on to bigger and better things, he's, uh, you know, producing tracks now for artists. And it just it's a testament that the Pank is actually a stepping stone. And Autumn tries to argue that if they don't get back up and running, they might end up having to take Corbin's offer, which I feel like is an exaggeration used to intimidate Uncle Clifford. I feel like 
a week isn't going to make a huge difference, especially if they still got a little bit of money, what, 25K left. I feel like it's not going to, a week isn't going to make or break them, especially if they're going to prepare for a good night um, and they have time to prepare and train the dancers and stuff. I feel like that, you know, so I feel like she used that to kind of intimidate him a bit. But uh, especially if they've been getting along for the past five months. But she, you know, of course, once again, reminds Uncle Clifford the pank was saved because of her. But then Uncle Clifford reminds her she is the boss. Uncle Clifford is the boss. You know, you might be the owner, but she's the boss. Autumn gets even more disrespectful saying, look, uh, you need to be the DJ then. And then Uncle Clifford... He's through with her light skin ass, and he ends up. She leave, ends up leaving. Sorry, y'all. This uncle is really throwing me off. I'm really trying my best to get these pronouns right. You know, learning. So, so right at the door, Mercedes comes in and is pissed, wanting to know who approved the opening date. And Uncle Clifford tells her not to worry about it because Autumn gonna have to deal with that shit by herself. And I know that's right because I'm like Autumn, you talking all this big talk, but Uncle Clifford knows how to run her business because she has been running this business for a while so i would have done the same like good luck you worry about it i'm out also just as just a side note you can see in the back of in this scene in the office behind them is a sign that says miss ernestine's jute joint so that just shows kind of the history of the paint i wonder if they're ever going to have like a flashback episode so far they haven't necessarily so but i feel like with every show the flashback episodes are inevitable so we'll see but that would be really cool to kind of see when it was ran by miss ernestine and it, when it used to be a juke joint and stuff like that i would really like to see how it functioned how she owned it how she managed it how she managed her workers and then the transition into the pink i would really love to see that but anyway, moving on to the next scene, which was funny as hell. We see Pastor Woodbine's commercial. Where the blessings reside, where the blessings reside, where the blessings reside, where the blessings reside. And um, from this commercial, you can tell Pastor Woodbine is a performer just like her daughter. I feel like Mercedes, it might be a little bit of a, a you know, but I feel like it's with confidence. I feel like Mercedes has a little bit of ego, but not necessarily where it's self-serving. I feel like Pastor Woodbine has a huge ego, and that makes her a great performer in a way. And I feel like they're able to influence people very well. I feel like I said this in the last episode I might have, but they're both able to influence people very well, and they're both great performers. And people be falling for uh, falling for their act. So but Ernestine, we see Ernestine is the one listening to the commercial. And then Uncle Clifford comes in all upset. Also, just reeling back a little bit, we see Pastor Woodbine, I mean, with this commercial, with her food drive, her hand sanitizer drive, all of that, we see that she is really up and rising and influenced with the community of Chukalisa. So I feel, especially with the teaser, uh, for episode three, I feel like we're going to see her influence, her real influence. She got the building, and I feel like now she's going to get the people on lock and definitely probably run out some churches out of business. So we'll see. About, that's going to be interesting because I feel like they're going to have to, as she gets more power, 
she's going to be able to do what the hell she wants and maybe even tear down the pink and get people to, uh, you know, vote for the casino and maybe go against it. Who knows? But anyway, Uncle Clifford comes in and she don't want nothing for her birthday, according to her. But I feel like everybody wants something for their birthday. And she said she don't want to see no one. She said she about to turn 40, living with her grandma and ain't had no dick in five months. And shit, that sounds similar to my the, the position my ass is in. So I feel for her, but like a fraction because I'm going through a fraction of that. <laughs> so yeah but anyway from this scene i'm like uncle clifford is really the cutest and i feel like the most vulnerable when she's inside uh the house with her grandma and it's almost like she reverts to kind of a childlike state uh because she has a place to be soft and truly truly her inner self and she don't have to be a boss bitch like around her grandma because her grandma is the boss bitch. So she gets to just be her, like her true, true, true self. She don't have to put on for nobody. She don't have to put up a guard. Ernestine is her family. Ernestine is her blood. Ernestine is her biggest supporter. So she can just be her true. So like she, I feel like Uncle Clifford is always around either people that try to play her, people that try to either intimidate her, people that try to use her, manipulate her. So I feel like she always has to have this guard up and just have this boss mentality up. But when she's at home, she could just be herself. She could vent about not having, like she can just say what she wants. So I love the scenes when she's with her grandma Ernestine because she's definitely her most, 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 most vulnerable. Next, we see, you know, Uncle Clifford is still crying in her bed, and then we hear a knock on the door. Ernestine ends up going up to get it, and, you know, since Uncle Clifford's in her little fit, and it turns out it's little murder, and it's cute. Ernestine is very happy to see him, and Uncle Clifford hears this and goes up and goes behind the door. But from Little Murder's perspective, he can see her through the mirror reflection, see her stance, see like her emotions and how she's emoting to his words and all of that. So he gets a parallel view, even though she don't know that he can see her. And he basically apologizes for doing her wrong and said that he knows better now and he wanted to make that known before he goes on tour of the Dirty Dozen tour. I feel like Jay Alphonse does his, I love saying Alphonse, did his thing in this scene. I teared up seeing Lil Murder's reaction and he just looks sad. He looks part nervous. He looks very remorseful. And then seeing Uncle Clifford's reaction to it, it was just a lot. It was very, it was cute. And you can tell they, they, they they are compatible for each other and you could tell little murder is very genuine and really cares and loves uncle clifford and uncle clifford I, I feel like has a lot of love for him but of course she has to guard herself because the stakes are high the stakes are high for him but for his world if he gets outed but the stakes are even higher for her um i feel like because she's the unofficial mayor of uh pussy 
Valley, she will be protected at least in that sphere, maybe. Who knows? But I feel like Lil Murder, definitely since he's in a gang, and I feel like the others, you know, a part of his circle would view it as a bad look or whatever and attack him for it. So it's definitely some danger with their love, and it, I hate that it has to be, but that's just how reality is, especially when you're in the deep Bible Belt South. Now we're on to Andre. He's on the phone with his wife, Tiffany. Apparently, he's been made the executor of the Ruffin estate. So he has to carry out the, I guess, the the will and the will of uh, Tydale Ruffin. So he has to carry out the will that his godfather, you know, has in place. So he still has some work to do. As he's going to his godfather's house, he sees multiple hoses hooked up to a main hose and he finds that it uh he finds the home that all the, all the hoses lead up to. Apparently Tydell usually paid the water bill for this family, this particular family that he ran into. And now they've been using other other people's water because they're five months behind. And apparently to for one of the family members, some people are five years behind on their water bills. But Tydell has been paying them all. And of course, Andre didn't know that. So then Andre goes back to Tydell's house, looks through all these bills, and sees that Tydell paid thousands for his community. So, you know, he calls him, you know, this Robin Hood-ass nigga. But you can tell he's very proud. Like, you could tell he's, you know, he's joking a little bit, but he's proud. He's proud that he, a secret that he uncovered is Tydell secretly paying the water bills for his community. Like, that's a good thing to do, of course. So... You know, he actually is the leader that, you know, he is saying to be in. I feel like he just got backed into the corner. And at least on Tydell's perspective, the casino was probably the best, uh, what, what from what he thought was the best option to, you know, save his community. But then we see Andre put in the Abraham Sun tape that we saw in the last episode. I knew it was going to be important. I knew it was going to be important because as soon as he grabbed for it in the last episode, then he got interrupted. I knew it was going to be important. Every detail matters. So anyway, he puts in the tape, and it's a tape of younger Tydell asking Andre, as when as Andre was a child, what he wants to be in front of Andre's father, who apparently his name is Abraham. And little Andre at first says Superman, but Tydell says, no, no, no. What did you say before? What did you really want to be? And he says he wants to be the president. And his father tells him that they'll never let you be that. And Tydell quickly calls him off saying that he can be what he wants and fuck them all. You are a king and you need to tell them all to kiss my black ass. And I'm definitely not doing it justice. You got to see the scene. The scene made me cry. I'm actually tearing up myself watching it, mainly because I'm going to explain it like this. We really, really, really need black men telling and instilling into black boys that they can do and be anything. And more so black men being guided by what, what black boys want to do, not necessarily black boys being guided on what black men want them to do. So, and I also feel like we need black men to lead by example, 
with how they believe, you know, black boys should carry themselves out. And by black boys, I'm talking about all black boys, not just the hetero ones, all black boys, all black boys. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. So the gay ones, the straight ones, the trans ones, we need to really instill that into all of our black boys for real. I'm an adult right now, but I feel like things would have definitely been a slightly different or maybe completely different if I had that strong kind of example and installation in me by other black men. But I personally felt that I was never validated as a bona fide black man or not black man, but bona fide man in general by my peers and by the black men around me in general, just due to me being queer, my personality, um, you know, I didn't play sports, you know, among other things. And now it's like I'm retraining myself, trying to reconfigure what a black man looks like or more so what a black man looks and is to me based on my morals and my values and stuff like that. So and also thinking if I even want to be labeled as a quote unquote black man, because I feel like that at this point where I am at and how I am, I feel like that might even be too restricting because, you know, what does a black man look like? You know, it could be anything. It's up to the collective and it's up to the individual as well. But um, I feel like this scene really hit me in a way that made me analyze that part of myself. And it's not even a part. It, it's it's my essence at this point. Um, so, yeah, that scene really, really got to me because it's just like I that validating the young black boys i feel like that's what we need especially with black men dying and black men just i feel like we're we're an endangered species at this point so i that scene is just i feel like one of the most important scenes ever so yeah that 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 was a that was a heavy scene. That was a heavy scene that I will be thinking about a lot. But anyway, also this is random, but the bills that he was looking at, Andre was looking at, at Tydell's house, I noticed they said July 2021. So I don't know if it's July 2021 right now or five months ago. Uh, I don't know. But I guess at this point, we can assume their pandemic and this reality happened in 2021 and not 2020. But that's just an observation. I don't know for sure. But I feel like, you know, since the pandemic started in their world five months ago, we can assume that was probably around December. I mean, February of 2021. So, yeah, maybe in their world, it started in 2021 and not 2020. But anyway, that was just a little observation. But uh, now, oof, Derek looking through the trash. You know, remember Keyshawn was throwing away the Pampers to make it seem like, you know, they're out of Pampers. So you can go out and dollar store, get a little breath of freedom. He looking through the trash and figured out Keyshawn's plan. I'm just, I mean, I was already over this white man, but I'm really over this white man. Like, he's clocking her by the time. And she tries to apologize, and he just straight up yells at her. And then Keyshawn says she ended up getting mad, too, I guess trying to deflect a little bit. 
because she said, you know, Diamond was yelling at her. And then, of course, Derek is just now he's he's already hyper focused on Diamond. So now anything he can use against Diamond, he will use against Diamond with fervor. So ooh, that was a good word. And he calls the police on Diamond and tries to get him fired, files a complaint saying he was yelling at my girlfriend. And I'm like, girl, you know, I don't understand the abuse cycle, like more so in a way where it's something that I've been through, at least in this way. But I'm like, y'all not even fiance. That's just your boyfriend. Please, girl, get yourself some freedom. And she does. We're going to talk about that. But Keyshawn plays with him. And after he finishes making that phone call, she plays with him a bit and traps him into a lie saying, you know, and Diamond, you know, was lying, saying that you call him a gutter nigga. How, you know, of course he wouldn't say that. Why would he ever think that? He's definitely lying. And, of course, Derek denies it. But by his reaction, reaction, keep that tells Keyshawn everything that she needs to know, and she knows Diamond was telling the truth. So I feel like that's another tally to her strategizing, you know, I need to get rid of this nigga, you know, because now you're calling people gutter niggas, and I'm a, I'm a black person, I'm a black woman myself. So, it, yeah, but by his reaction, you could tell Keyshawn, Keyshawn is great at analyzing people. So she already knows that nigga is lying. Derek is lying. And then she asks, how does how did he knew know that she went to the store? And he said, I got your location on lock on my phone. And then she mentions the tour. And of course, Derek is not having it and wants her to do everything online where you know he can see and control her. And then he eventually kind of fake relents and tells her get Rome so they can all talk. Now we see Wody, Lil Murder's manager, the one that the one that talks like how did I do the one, the one, the one. My name Wody. Wody, Wody. I told you to get that hearse. It's something similar to that shit. Anyway. Uh yeah, anyway, Wody is Lil Murder's manager and they're driving you know, in a hearse, and while in the car, Lil Murder calls DJ Neverscare, and we see DJ Neverscare is in Atlanta with this quote-unquote hidden rapper producing a track for their, for her. I'm not going to say who it is, but we all know who it is, but turns out Wody drove him to the pen to, according to him, get his buggy ass some security, and it's kind of this kind of cute, light skin look, kind of cute, light skin looking nigga. And you could tell him and Lil Murder are close. And we find out he is a hurt village hustler. So we already know there's going to be some gang drama going on with him. He's probably going to be the catalyst for that. Because Lil Murder, he's a part of the gang, but he's not trying to be, you know, an active gang member. But, you know, he, Big Teak. According to the dialogue between them, he was in jail since like '09, so you know he fresh out. And also, according to the episode three, little I need to not watch that because I I want to go in fresh, fresh. But you know he gonna start some stuff. It looks like <coughs> oh shit, that wasn't a, a chest cold cough. That was a 
uh, I just coughed, I guess. But anyway, Keyshawn, Derek, and Rome are now in a meeting discussing the tour logistic, and Keyshawn makes it known that her cut is covering the operating costs. So it's like, am I really going to make any money? And she purposely says, and, you know, my man Derek, he is getting a manager position, so we should be good financially knowing that he didn't get it. Like, she's making sure he's squirming a little bit. Keyshawn is very good at hustling and very good at finessing niggas, and she's finessing them both, and I love it. Rome is sweating, immediately goes a little murder, like, what the hell? This this girl told me to come here, and now she's saying she don't want to be in the tour, and he freaking out. And it, this is weird. As he's talking, little murder winks at Big T. Apparently, it's a game called Killer, where if somebody winks at you, 30 seconds later, you die, and the pers- the people living have to figure out who the killer is. I don't know the purpose of that. I don't know if we're going to see the purpose of that later on in the show. It, we definitely didn't see the purpose of it in this episode, but maybe we'll see it. Maybe it shows how close the three are. I don't know. I didn't really understand it. At least at this point, I don't understand it. But Rome then gets a text from Keyshawn saying, thanks, she'll handle the rest. So we already know Keyshawn got a plan up her ass. And so now it's, the, I feel, and I'm going to talk about this also at the, the the end of the episode, but I just feel like it's it was just too much shit going on in this episode. But anyway, it's the grand re-re-re-opening tonight. And Mercedes walks in on Whisper, kind of doing this crystal pendulum reading. She's one of those woo-woo girls, you know, able to predict stuff, use magic, I guess. And she is predicting shit by listening to the universe. So far, things are looking good. They got a nice crowd, money getting thrown everywhere. But all I know in the back of my head, COVID is running rampant. This definitely reminds me of 2020 when Atlanta was just fully open during the first, uh, I guess, the first release after lockdown. Atlanta was running wild. Miami was running wild. So that just brings me back to them when niggas was just running wild. And and COVID is still here, by the way. But anyway, Uncle Clifford is in her room, all bored and sad. And she's on her bur- uh she's uh on her Insta scrolling through pictures and comes across Lil Murder's picture. And, you know, she sees that little murder definitely got quarantined thick, got a little bigger. It's like, mm. And Grandma Ernestine tells her to take out the trash. So she goes out. And Uncle Clifford gets ambushed by these four people in the screen mask. It was pretty scary, I'm not going to lie, who kidnapped her and put her in a trunk. To me, this is kind of my worst nightmare because my skinny ass would definitely get abducted if four niggas came up in the screen mask. I mean, I would try my best. I'm a pretty smart person. I'm a pretty adaptable person so i don't i don't want to put myself down like that but that is kind of like who 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 wouldn't be scared of four niggas in a screen mask like taking you and putting you in a trunk come on but anyway now we're back at the pank and toy is complaining to autumn that big bone is just twerking at the bar not doing shit and you can tell big bone is that type now she's the type that just likes the the airs of being a dancer a quote-unquote dancer and, you know, working at a strip club, like, she just likes the attention. So she's obviously not working, and she's just twerking at the bar. Jupiter ends up arguing with her uh, potential baby daddy, Clancy, 
And it's a whole fire going on in the kitchen that Big L is trying to put out. So, so far, shit is hitting the fan. And Uncle Clifford, of course, is proven to be right. Next, we see Uncle Clifford's kidnappers pull her out. And it's an entire surprise party for her. It's really nice, very extravagant. And apparently, Grandmother Ernestine was behind the whole thing. Um... And, and like I said before, even though Uncle Clifford says she didn't want a party, who doesn't want a party for themselves, especially somebody like Uncle Clifford, and especially for your 40th, 40th party? And uh, so, yeah, it, it looks like a classic Southern party. There's strippers, there's bounce music, there's skates going on. It's very classic. And we see they got Darrell Smiley, who's the one that popularized – well, he was the one that made uh, the – where the money reside, where the money reside. And apparently his artist name is also known as Relly B. And that was a pretty nice surprise having uh him on there and then, you know, having uh them use the song for the for uh Pastor Woodbine. And I'd be seeing he's on the come up. I see he's on Bad Boys LA on Zeus Network. So he's really like sustaining that momentum from his video. And I feel like that's how you're supposed to do it. You you are not supposed to be, uh, we got to use every opportunity we can. One hit wonders, we don't have the luxury of doing that. We have to keep sustaining if you want to keep sustaining. And I'm sure it's work to sustain, but you got to hustle to get that job. And I'm glad he was able to get speaking parts in P-Valley. Not only that, them using his song. And I feel like black people, we got to use our own people and have our own people featured. Like, Issa using Jocelyn's Do It Like It's Your B-Day. No, you know, nobody else will use that. No one on HBO will be using Jocelyn's song to keep it real. You know, so we gotta keep, we gotta keep, keep it in the circle, to be honest, because that's how you're supposed to do it. Give ourselves opportunities. But anyway, Uncle Clifford is just taking the scene, looking regal, like the queen she is. And I don't know if this is actually Lil Murder, but she sees Lil Murder. I don't know if it's a guy that looks like Lil Murder, but I think that's him. But, you know, you know, shows these days being doing all types of fantasy stuff, you know, things that are there but not really there. So who knows? It might have been. Maybe it's just her wanting him there, but I'm not sure if that's actually Lil Murder. But anyway... Now we're back at the pink, and Mercedes is teaching Roulette and Whisper a routine in the champagne room. And then as they do it, one of the poles starts shaking. It's really creepy, really weird, really eerie. And Whisper invites them to ask a question since she has these, you know, extra supernatural abilities. Roulette asks if she's going to make bank tonight. And according to Whisper, yeah, she is, according to the universe. And... Now it's Mercedes' turn, but like I said, shit is looking eerie, and you could tell Mercedes is just scared. Like, she's horrified, it looks like. Like, she's paralyzed. Until Autumn comes in looking a mess and says she needs them out on the floor right now. And I don't know, in this scene, I don't know if it's just me, but when Whisper looked at Mercedes and battered her eyes, it was like we heard a phone photo snap sound bite, like a camera snap. I don't I don't think I'm tripping because I rewound that part like three or four times and it was the same effect as soon as she battered her eyes. So I don't know why that effect was there. Maybe to be extra. I don't know. 
But anyway, Uncle Clifford, we're back at Uncle Clifford's party. I told y'all, it's a lot of shit going on in this whole episode. But Uncle Clifford is cutting the cake, and they just sitting there talking about niggas. And Uncle Clifford shows them her boo, Lil Murda. Everybody's giving her props, like, ooh, he fine, he cute. And Nineveh gives some good advice to Uncle Clifford, and she says that, you know, if you want him, then you need to, you know, go get him. And then Uncle Clifford gets really shady for no reason. Like, she comes at her job. I think from what she was saying, she is a sex worker and how Uncle Clifford was teasing her. I think she's, like, not a dancer, but, like, out in the streets having sex with people. And Nineveh checks her saying, you know, she don't mind. She said, I don't mind what I do. Do you? And she, you know, it's obvious just from the way she's talking. She has to do what she has to do to make it through. And she is cool where she's at and she seems to be content where she's at with what she, where she's at in life. And, you know, ask Uncle Clifford, are you good with what you're doing in life? So I, I'm glad she checked her and she ends up walking away. But that definitely wasn't cool of Uncle Clifford to go there. I'm like, girl, like, come on. But now Uncle Clifford goes to skate and he goes up to the trade that they were talking about. And, uh, you know, he the trade is handling the skate. So they end up flirting and then they end up herking up. I don't know why I'm talking like Medea this episode, but they end up hooking up and then the trade nigga ends up giving Uncle Clifford some head. And I'm like, yes, get that birthday head, girl. And this is another thing. And this is like the second or third time I mentioned like a sound. But I don't know if y'all I'm hearing things, but I feel like when the trade nigga whipped unzipped his pants and whipped his dick out, I felt like I heard a thump. At the floor, they're definitely being, you know, exaggerating how long it is. But uh, I felt like I heard a thumb because I also rewound that like three or four times. But anyway, also, does anyone notice how Uncle Clifford met the nigga in a similar way? She met Lil Murder, telling the trade nigga she couldn't hear him, take the mask off. And then they lead to a hookup kind of similarly to how she tells, you know, Lil Murder, I can't hear you. And then goes into the paradise room and then they end up hooking up. Very minor, but details are everything. So now we're back at the pink. Big L is introducing the new Trinity, or AKA Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mercedes leaves the champagne, champagne, champagne room shook, very shook. And as they're all in the poll, the crowd is obviously paying more attention to Whisper and Roulette. And they're all killing it, though. Whisper and Roulette are really killing it with some wild acrobatics and Mercedes, like, it was really good. I, I rewound that several times, too. Like, they were good. And uh, But Mercedes sees all this, and then she attempts to do a trick on her own, but you can tell she's trying harder, or at least it's, it's, it's taking up more of her energy than usual than what we usually see her. Like, it's, it's, she's putting in effort, but this is more effort than she usually is putting in, and she's looking very tired. And while she's up in the pole, her shoulder gives out and she loses her grip and ends up falling. That shit was scary. She then ends up waking up and finds herself in, I guess, Diamond's house or Diamond's basement. And we see Diamond there. We see Uncle Clifford there. And also, when she fell, it was given like Mufasa when he fell with the wildebeest. It was literally given that. 
But anyway, we see Uncle Clifford there. We see Diamond there. We see Autumn over her. And according to Diamond, her shoulder really isn't broken or dislocated. So it's some other shit going on. Something that's not really in the physical realm. Hint, hint. So Mercedes says that her arm has just been feeling heavy ever since the murder night. And Diamond does some real voodoo shit. Something I never, 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 never would have expected from him and just in this show in general. And he kind of takes out his hand and puts it over her body. And it's like he's manipulating the energy around her. And all he does is snap his fingers and Mercedes just starts convulsing. And it, pretty much the scene is like an exorcism, essentially. And from what it looks like, he extracted whatever demonic energy, whatever hoodoo, voodoo energy was holding her down and weighing her shoulder down. And he channeled it into what looks like an obsidian stone of some sort. And he puts it on a scale and it's exactly seven pounds. And he uh, says he just pulled out seven pounds out of you. And he knows that it takes seven pounds of pressure to pull the trigger of a gun. I looked it up. It seems like it varies, like four pounds. I think I even saw three, but it seems like it varies between four to five. I, so maybe they just did it seven pounds for this, the sake of the story. But I just had to look it up myself because I'm like, seven pounds? Hmm. But anyway, he took out seven pounds of pressure from her shoulder. And now we basically find out Mercedes is the one that shot Montavious, who uh, was Autumn's uh, abusive uh, boyfriend. Mercedes freaks out thinking she's going to get caught. And, you know, with all the commotion at Diamond's table of little magle, magical, magical, magical shit, magical artifacts, magical items, we see Montavious's ring is in the center of it. And Autumn freaks out. And Diamond tells Autumn that his spirit is in check through that ring and root work and it's there for uh, both Autumn and Diamond's protection. So according to Diamond, his spirit won't haunt him. And we also learn that Diamond and Big L were the ones handling that body, handled Montavious's body. And then he opens the window and we see the scale literally lose its weight and goes back to zero pounds. So this is some scurry shit going on. It's some very hoodoo voodoo shit, like I said. It's very unsettling. Especially with Mercedes being freaked out and haunted. I have some predictions. I hope I remember it at the end of this episode. But I have some predictions about what's going to happen. But after this, Autumn tries to hire Diamond. And apparently he lost his job. and But he still declines. He, and I guess we now know Derek was successful in getting rid of uh, making sure Diamond got fired. And just fucking up his life as much as possible like a bitch. And uh, Mercedes hollers at Autumn and says, you need to leave my house. And I've sacrificed enough for you. And honestly, I agree. She pulled a trigger for you. She protected you. She did all this. She's letting you stay at the house. And I feel like Autumn keeps bringing up, like, I gave you the deposit for your gym. I did this, blah, 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 as a way, like, to kind of, I don't know, either make her feel guilty or still have. Uh, Mercedes and her good graces. So everything that Autumn does, we can see now that it has some ulterior motive and it doesn't necessarily have a, a genuine, like, I'm doing this for the good of the good type of motive. But 
Anyway, next we're back to Keyshawn and Derek. As they're getting ready for bed, Keyshawn baits him again, mentioning that they need to get a toddler bed and the AC fix, missing in all these bills, knowing that he's going to have to mention that he didn't get the job, which he actually, you know, mentions, uh, eventually mentions. And Keyshawn tries to act like she don't know. And of course she can use this to her advantage. And she didn't lays that thing on him with some mind, with some body tricks, and she gets Derek to bed. At this point, you can see that sexuality is Keyshawn's tool and her power and her liberation all at the same time. Now we're back at the pank in Uncle Clifford's office, and we see Autumn is, uh, she's back to drinking again, and then we see some static appear on the security screen. She leaves to just go and, you know, dance in a pole. But we see Montavious' spirit appear in the champagne room. That was scary. And uh, then Autumn starts dancing on a pole. And she still, she, 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 tries, she tried to act like she wasn't in good form earlier in the episode. But she seems to still be in pretty good form. And you could kind of tell it's kind of like, healing for her and kind of just good for her until Andre appears and they talk about the offer again and she's like you know I'm going to uh you know I'll take the offer if you give me that 10 mil but she claims it's just a building and it's not like it's someone's home but girl, it literally is your home right now. And, you know, you're living in it right now. So that was pretty contradictory. But he thanks her for making him go to the funeral. And at this point, I'm just tired of their relationship. Uh, I feel like it's very annoying and very forced and blah, blah, blah. So and that rain scene didn't make it any better. I like kind of the analogy with grief being clouds because that is pretty true. But I'm just tired of their relationship or whatever relationship they have. I'm pretty annoyed by it, and I, I want it to end. But then we see the closing scene. Keyshawn uh, put that Derek ass to sleep, and she kisses her babies goodbye and ends up leaving for the tour. From this scene, I'm like, besides the blatant abuse, Keyshawn and Derek's relationship is very, very, very toxic. Obviously, he's very controlling and abusive. And it's just sad that she has to manipulate him to get some type of freedom and control as well. Also, I feel like Keyshawn and Derek's babies be looking different in each scene. Like, literally, they be looking different in each scene. I don't know if I'm tripping, but they look different. And that was the final closeout scene. And I feel like it was, I love Shannon Thornton's style and how she's playing uh, Keyshawn. And I just love that ending closing out scene with her just doing that smile. like. She's out uh, and call back to that Rapunzel story. She did um, the ghetto Rapunzel story. I'm saying ghetto Rapunzel story because that's how Katori Hall tells it. And that's kind of how I viewed it, using your bundles to escape. Like, not to say I'm like dissing her, but it's definitely a ghetto black Rapunzel story. And Keyshawn, it's, I mean, it's a perfect way to kind of exemplify, show Keyshawn and how maybe even her past, she was very controlled. So she had to use her sexuality and her beauty to kind of escape that. And then probably ended up 
back into a uh, uh, environment with Derek where she's controlled again and once again has to be that Rapunzel figure to escape. But anyway, this was definitely a heavy episode. Heavier than I expected. Definitely teared up a lot. And I feel like it's definitely the heaviest episode emotionally and psychologically so far. And it seems like this is only the beginning. So we'll see where this season will take us. And now let us move on to its giving the next segment. So I'm going to try to make this really, 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 really quick uh, because I don't like my episodes going too, too long over an hour. But anyway, I'm going to start with some predictions and some themes and then get into what I feel like is given. In terms of Autumn, I feel like sure Bailey's definitely going to find out that uh, about Autumn. And I think that will be her biggest threat and her biggest threat to her power control right now over the pank i feel like Cher bailey is going to register that this is Haley. then of course lead up to you know uh, you know because on file montavious you know tried to look for him so uh, according to the law and i guess from the law perspective from at least sheriff bailey's perspective montavious is innocent and now Haley Bailey, Haley Bailey, <laughs> Haley, who was um, missing, is now found. But now Montavious, who reported Haley to be missing, is now missing. So now Sheriff Bailey, of course, is going to look further into that. But how he figures out her name, I don't know. But I know it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It, just by his look, he's like, hmm, okay. I don't think he's going to be up in the pank like what's her name but i think he's going to find out in the most like the most randomest way but we i feel like that's going to happen in terms of corbin i really want to know the relationship between uncle clifford and corbin because it seems like of course season one we know uncle clifford knows his lineage knows who his parents are know how he grew up so it seems to be some deep history between these two in addition to um you know to support that i feel like you know corbin the fact that he knew uncle clifford's birthday was the next day and how old uh she was turning i feel like there's a lot of history between them and i would love to kind of dig deeper into that and just see what's going on with that what's going on with that in terms of uncle clifford i really like seeing uncle clifford outside the pink in a social setting where uh we get to see her friends and how she acts around them and her standing with her friends she's still a boss bitch but now she don't she's a boss bitch that don't have to manage a, a business she can just be herself and kind of have that load off so uh and like we see how close she is with her friends without any doubt she shows her friends little murder and i feel like that just shows how close she is because you know she would never do that to anybody else i don't even think she's told that to mercedes so the fact that has she i don't think so no so ernestine and her friends she shows but not anyone else so we see this is her tight 
tight circle. This is her tight circle. Also speaking to the group, I really love how we see her friends are all just queer in different ways and just don't really confirm. I feel like besides confirm, conform, I'm telling you I'm talking like Medea in this episode, but besides uh, Pose, and I'm sure there's other shows that I haven't personally seen, I feel like we don't get to see uh, such a wide range of just black, femme, trans, doms, black gays in this number and just through the lens of us living our lives it's a person at a birthday party with their friends and of course getting some birthday hit you can apply that with every human being and every human's desire in the world where we all we truly all want the same things we're all different but we truly want the same things and i just like how None of their shit was the way they were depicted wasn't pushed down our throats in a way where it's like it's a huge, I don't know, a lesson or a huge like lens on them or a huge magnifying glass. It's just people existing. But it's just the fact that it's like I said, black trans, black doms, black gay, black femme, black non-binary, like we're all just existing and shit is normal. And I feel like that's why this show is so important because it's through all these different gazes and not through the gaze of people that aren't queer or aren't really any of these groups. So I that's what one of the major reasons why this show is so, I feel like, revolutionary in that regard. Next, we I feel like Autumn and Uncle Clifford's relationship, I feel like from the meeting scene in this episode... I realize Autumn is kind of like the mind and Uncle Clifford is like the spirit. And Mercedes, shit, you can argue that Mercedes is kind of like the body. She gets action done and uh, she gets the action going, literally. But I'm going to focus on these two. Although in the meeting, although what Autumn says makes sense about the value and the worth and all that, there's still a level of oversight she has because I feel like she lacks empathy and just general emotional connection. And especially probably from her daughter passing away, she probably now is just her, herself, and her. She has to look out for her. So maybe she'll learn how to rebuild that through you know, Uncle Clifford and Mercedes, but I feel like after her daughter, especially also being in an abusive relationship, after her daughter dying, it's like she she don't have no feels for nobody. So and I and I feel like I can see that and I can understand that I suppose, but she needs to have that reconnection with people and obviously she knows business and knows how to handle shit on paper and uh but i feel like in terms of dealing with people and working with people outside finessing them she lacks like she just lacks those connection skills um in a way where uncle clifford is a natural at them and we see how her decisions ended up playing out she only focused on the logic that made money not necessarily what was best for the people of the pank and the pank as an establishment for her, the pank is just a money-making machine. For Uncle Clifford, it's a home, it's a community, it's a school, it's a stepping stone, it's uh, it's everything. 
So I feel like now Uncle Clifford, on the other hand, even though she might not be the best business whiz, she's the true creative. She knows people. She knows how to handle people. She knows how to read people. And she knows how to deal with people. But most importantly, she knows how to care for people. Although Autumn, knows, like I said, knows the worth, knows the on-paper worth, and knows the on-paper dollar amounts and stuff, Uncle Clifford understands the worth and community that is the pink and overall the people of Chuckalisa. I feel like they can definitely be a great team if they learn to work together, but more so if Autumn can actually make uh, more so on Autumn's side. She needs to learn how to work with people because I feel like both of them, especially if Autumn just respects Uncle Clifford as the boss and Uncle Clifford takes time to kind of listen to her business acumen and maybe she can teach her a few things, I feel like they both can be a very good uh, duo and especially if they include Mercedes too. Uh, but yeah, at this point... Autumn is definitely willing to sell the paint for $10 million if she could. I mean, if the offer was presented to her. Now, with Andre and Tydell, I feel like we're getting more and more in through the, the eyes of Andre. And Andre himself is getting more connected to Tydell's history and really the core of Tydell. And it really does look like Tydell was a literal Robin Hood nigga looking out for his people and also, uh, as we saw, instilled a sense of confidence. Andre seemed to kind of have lost along the way, to be honest. And it's important to point out that Tydell was Chuckalisa's first black mayor. He did defy the odds and he did prove those around them wrong. And to do that in Mississippi, in the deep south, to do that and be the first black mayor in 20 what now i guess in this setting 2020 2021 he defied the odds he believed in himself and he accomplished what he set out to do and just by that this is the the lead by example part that i'm talking about because it's one thing to just have words and just say you know fuck them tell them kiss my black ass you can do whatever you want now that, those are beautiful words whatnot but to actually take that and then actually do you know the things that you're living by I feel like that's when the lesson really becomes powerful and that's when the lesson can really be instilled in um, the ones after you. And I feel like it's going to be instilled in Andre. I feel like he can do the same and then some. And I feel like ever since the funeral and also even through season one, Andre has a reconnection to his Chuckalisa roots as well as the Godfather and as well as his family. And I feel like it's going to ignite I feel like it's going to ignite a righteous type of fire inside of him. Um, and he's going to have some kiss my black ass mentality very soon. I feel like he might even run for the mayor against uh, Corbin's uh, uh, redneck cracker uh, brother. With the dozen, Dirty Dozen tour, uh, I, I don't have too much to say. I just pray Lil Murder don't get shot or nothing on this tour. Derek tried to say he didn't want Keyshawn going on there. You know, she might get shot before she even gets COVID. And it's sad. COVID, ooh, shoot. The mic might have sounded weird. But COVID aside, I feel like some danger is definitely going to happen. Come on. It has to, to make it interesting. 
but I feel like it's gonna be some Hurt Village Hustler gang shit going on with this Dirty Dozen tour. Now, you know, also segueing into COVID, I pray Ernestine is not next with COVID. And if she does get COVID, I hope she doesn't pass from COVID or has to end up in the ICU. I just, I just hope she doesn't get COVID. I wonder if any of the dancers will test positive. Somebody got test positive with COVID having an open event like that in five months after lockdown. Somebody gonna get COVID. Now, this was an element I never would have suspected, but I feel like now we're going to get into the uh, supernatural side of things. We get a glimpse pretty much through Whisper and Diamond, kind of that magic mysticism that's present um, in this world. And we see Diamond is literally a connect to this voodoo shit and sing with Whisper, like I said. So we're, we're kind of getting that aspect through them. And... Um, we don't know i mean we can guess that the pink and the ones involved with the murder night of champagne room type uh shootout whatever are going to be haunted or you know start to be haunted to some degree we see montavious's uh spirit appears in one of the security cameras my guess is autumn took the uh montavious oh my god i'm sorry y'all that's my mama calling. Uh, my guess is Autumn took Montavious's ring, but I feel like Diamond would have suspected that pretty quick. If he does suspect it, it gotta be at least by the next episode. But we see that now the supernatural element is being injected into the series. And I feel like that's pretty natural uh, in a way because I feel like the South has a lot to do with the supernatural mixing with uh, reality. We see it all throughout the Deep South outside of Christianity. So I, um, I'm pretty excited to see what's going to happen with that. Cause I feel like it definitely adds a new layer to, uh, the show and P Valley as a whole. Uh, overall, I feel oh, that's her calling in my bad y'all overall. I feel like this time around, it still feels like it's too much packed into each episode, I feel like maybe they need like 12, 13, maybe even 15 episodes or something like that. I, I can imagine the show is a pretty expensive show to produce and create. But even from this podcast episode, I just feel like it was just too much going on in the P-Valley episode. And it's just too much getting jam-packed into it. And in a way where I feel like it's stuffed. I feel like episode one of season two was stuffed. I feel like last season, it was a good amount going on, but I don't feel like it was stuffed. I feel like when it got to the climax, then it said, okay, the episode is over. But I feel like there might have been a few cases where the episode could have been at the climax and just ended and gone on to the next episode. But in this one, it was just a lot going on. And it just felt like three episodes in one and... It just felt like two to three different tones were just all scattered about through this episode. So I don't know. I, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I definitely, it was a deep one. It was kind of dark too a little bit, but it, so I, I feel like it was good in that regard, but I still feel like there was a lot going on. So for that, uh, I hate to do it, but I'm going to give it a, a B a B plus it, it was just too much shit going on and 
it it is just too much it's just too much I, I think they need a clean okay this is this is what we got going on this is what we're trying to tell from this i feel like it was just a lot going on and just three different three four five different stories i feel like all over the place so i i don't know maybe for the next season they need to order more episodes because it, it, it's just a lot to keep up with i i, I admit so Whew, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to find a way to summarize even further because I don't want to have no 90 minute episode each and every time. So we'll see, we'll see. But that is what the episode is given. Whew, so I definitely did my best to cover everything as quick as possible. I really, I'm going to be listening back to this episode. I pray I wasn't talking too fast, but I really, it was, like I said, it was a lot. It was a lot. The Dirty Dozen discussion meeting, then the meeting about the offer, then Uncle Clifford's birthday, then Uncle Clifford getting kidnapped, and, uh... Derek finding out about Keyshawn's plan and then the exorcism Mercedes fell then the audition in the beginning of the episode then two new three new characters really three new major characters and then uh whisper and the 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 ESP shit and then the pink re re reopening like even just saying all this, these major events, it, you like y'all see how much shit is going on. Like, come on, oh, and then Andre looking at the video, of the tapes, and Montavious's spirit coming back, and it is, it was just a lot. It was just a lot. It was just a lot. And I hope they tone it down a little bit. I'm just gonna give it, chalk it up to. I'm going to chalk it up to they're just setting shit up. The first couple episodes, I know you got to shit, 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 set shit up for the rest of the season. So I just pray, okay, now we know we're here, we're here. Things have set off here. Things are starting here. Things are continuing here. Things are, you know, that, you know, will be better suited for the rest. Oh, and then, you know, we saw that the guest appear, the guest tease from the artist that I won't mention that's gonna be on the uh the season. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. Oh, and then little murder friend got out of jail. Gonna be prison. Got gonna be his bodyguard now. He on the hurt village hustler. It's a lot of sh- going on. It sounded like it cut off, but that was just my voice. It just stopped. My voice just kind of just stopped. So, <sighs> I really hope I wasn't that fast and. If I go back and listen to, to it and I feel like I'm fast, I'm going I'm to go slower. I'm going to go slower because y'all don't deserve that. And I don't deserve that. So, but yeah, that was P-Valley Season 2, Episode 2, Seven Pounds of Pressure. Definitely a pretty, a semi-dark episode filled with all types of themes. I just hope they're consistent with these themes and they keep them themes in check and tight. And, you know, definitely experiment with them, but don't do too much where it's like, okay, now I don't know what to focus on. I'm confused by this. It's a lot going on. 
keep them themes tight, you know. So we're going to see what's going to happen next on the next episode. So I'll see y'all niggas later. Bye. 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 <laughs>